Hey, buddy. What's happening? Berberine. Berber. Berberine. Berberine. It's a... Um, I think it's kind of like tree bark. I'm not real sure on this. It sounds barky. It doesn't take... Well, I just take a pill that has it in it. It's like Mm. a bright yellow Mm. when it's pure. And uh, I expected it to be brown. I take it for blood sugar management because my Mm. blood sugar... Although I don't eat sugar, my natural blood sugar level is... I don't eat much sugar, I should say. Uh, my blood sugar is higher than I would like. It's not pre-diabetic or anything like that, but I don't want it to be because there's diabetes in my insulin levels. No, my insulin levels are good. Mm. They're they're healthy, but my something about my body it just it, I hover around like my A one C hangs around like five point. I want to say it's like five point six, and then like five point no, it's five point five, and then five point seven is the cusp of where they like you should start thinking about taking things to manage your blood sugar levels because you're getting into pre-diabetic and i would like it to be more like a 5-1 or 5-0 so you don't eat a lot of snickers i don't i'm not saying i wouldn't if i was hungry i don't want to be hangry you know (laughs) (laughs) i'm not against snickers or sugar berberine berberine if you need it Good afternoon. This is the More in Common podcast and welcome. This is a place where we explore the fact that we have more in common than which divides us by anchoring humanity in compassionate conversation. And I know this for a fact because I've been a guest on the show and Rodney and Keith are amazing at the art of conversation. My name is Tina McGuff. And I have written a book called Seconds to Snap and Rodney and Keith asked me to do today's introduction, which I'm extremely grateful for. Remember, if you enjoy what you hear, you can find more on moreincommonpod.com where you'll find all the podcasts, merchandise and blogs. And if you like what you hear, definitely let everybody else know because there's so much fantastic conversations on there where we can all learn from one another and see how much we are actually all rooted together. Today's episode is with Keith Ferguson. I've I've been very fortunate. I've heard this this podcast already, um, just to give me a little bit of an insight into what to say about this introduction today. And I'm extremely blessed. What a lovely man and what a great life he's experienced and what things he's doing now. He talks about barriers to entry into legal work, He talks about how he came from poverty to become an attorney and his dad was his primary carer growing up without his mum, the impact of premarital counselling. And there's so many things that's very interesting. One of them is, of course, getting into Cornell's Football Hall of Fame, which is quite something as well, and so much more. So I would highly recommend today's podcast for you to have a listen to. This is the part of the season dubbed Discovery of season two. And I really hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Take care now. Thank you. So before we get into this episode, I got to tell you a little bit of something that Rodney got me into about seven months ago. One of those things, like he talks about these things all the time and I hardly ever try them. But this one in particular, Audible. Audible for audiobook listening. Like I tell you, I love reading books. I don't have a lot of time. I got two kids, two jobs. I got uh, you know, a relationship that I try to invest in, but I really like to read books and there's a lot of information out there that helps us learn for our for our business, learn for podcasting, learn for all of the things or just pleasure in reading. Mm-hmm. And it, it gives me that space to to listen. So Rodney, thank you for for putting me onto them cuz I'm excited to put other people onto it too. Yo, man, glad I could help. I love it. I've been doing it for years. I highly recommend it. And I know you do it for, for driving. and Yeah, I do it for driving time. in L.A. And, and honestly, you know, you get to get one book for free. You can, you can send a book to a friend for free. You can return any book if you don't like it. I mean, that's lovely. And, uh, you know, they got a, a trial period going on. You get a free, free membership to start. So we're going to put a link on our website. Go check it out. Uh, it's an affiliate link. We do get a little bit on the back end, so you're supporting us. We really appreciate it. Go to our website, moreincommonpod.com. Check it out. Check it out. Audible. 
kids are surprised if I'm an attorney. They're like, they're really, they're really surprised by it. I'm like, no, you absolutely can do it. I mean, everything that everyone's doing, for the most part, you probably can do. I mean, you, I'm not going to tell you you can be a rocket scientist like the, the other guests you had, but it's reading and writing. <laughs> like, one plus one is always two, wherever you go. Like, you can read and comprehend, and you can apply facts, and you can reason. You can be an attorney. So then there's an almost, yeah. which I don't believe in. You can do anything. I'm like, yeah. Let's be, let's be real with children and tell them, hey, you're really good at this, and this is what you should focus on. That pipe dream, you're just not so good at it. So. Hello, hello. Welcome back. Today we are with Keith Ferguson. Keith, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. And yourself? Doing great. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Uh, in the lead up, just a few minutes ago, you mentioned something that was kind of interesting to me. You said that you'd like to tell young folks they can do almost anything. Yes. Yeah. Uh, what's your, like, talk to me about that. Talk to us about that. Uh, so, I mean, I grew up in D.C. and Southeast in the 80s, and uh, anyone who's familiar with D.C. from then, although it's gentrified and it's a much different city now, back then uh, it had a reputation for crime. A lot of other things as well. It was like a black mecca, but also there was a criminal element. What, what part of D.C.? Southeast. Like D.C. proper? Yeah, D.C. proper. And then I moved to PG County when I was about 13, at the end of seventh grade. Okay. But I grew up on Anacostia Road, uh, Eli Place, played football at Marshall Heights and number 14 Boys and Girls Club. So uh, all the kids I grew up with, like I, we either went to H.D. Woodson or Eastern High School. So, you know, that's just you know, my foundation. Mm -hmm. But a lot of what you want to do is just exposure and what, and what you see. And then, um, and a lot of us, it was a limited exposure. Yep. So if I'm in that area or talking to kids or going back to the program, um, kids are surprised if I'm an attorney. They're like, they're really, they're really surprised by it. I'm like, no, you absolutely can do it. I mean, everything that everyone's doing, for the most part, you probably can do. I mean, you, I'm not going to tell you you can be a rocket scientist like they're the other guess you had, but it's reading and writing. Like, <laughs> one plus one is always two, wherever you go. Like, you can read and comprehend, and you can apply facts, and you can reason. You can be an attorney. Which is, so it's interesting you bring him up, because mm -hmm. in that we talk about this concept. And he actually said, he's like, I didn't know, there was a point where I didn't know anything about rockets. Mm -hmm. He's like, there's a point where I didn't know how to walk. I learned how to walk. He's like, give me enough time. I can figure out rockets. I can figure out how to make movies. I can figure out anything that you yeah. put in front of me. I mean, most things, uh, if it's technical, you can learn it. I mean, there's an art to a lot of, I guess, what we do, and that that's differentiates us, but everything's been done by someone before. It's just a matter of do you have the time and, and can put the effort into learning it, which, you know, it may not come as easy, but you can learn it for the most part. Mm -hmm. So, I, I mean, I say almost because, of course, there's going to be some, uh, there's some systemic things. Maybe there's monetary um, barriers to entry. And there's some people who do have, you know, some challenges. Like if you're not going to be a rocket scientist, you know, it, if you're not good in calc and all the other sciences and math courses, that may not be your strength. Right. You may be more of a writer or a creative person or someone that's an, uh, an advisor of sorts, but not so much of a technical, a technical skill set. So then there's an almost, yeah. which I don't believe in. You can do anything. I'm like, yeah. Let's be let's be real with children and tell them, hey, you're really good at this, and this is what you should focus on. That pipe dream, you're just not so good at it. Yeah. So, I'm not sure if you yeah. like watch Killer Mike. He talks about like, nah, you're not. This is this is isn't your lane. You're good at this. Yeah. And focus. So. So. And uh, I think it's 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 a great point and like understanding what it is that you are good at or that drives you. Um, like I, you know. We talk about this from time to time about just sports, right? Mm -hmm. Like you can work so hard to get to a certain place, but everybody's cap is a little bit different, right? Some people's cap is the is the moon. Some people's they just don't have the hand eye coordination. They, sh they probably shouldn't play sports. Don't have the footwork. So don't it's, have the whatever. Yeah. You don't have the vision. You don't have whatever it is, like the eyesight. You know, my eyesight's. 120 and 120 right and i need super corrective lenses and i just don't have that reaction time or whatever it might be mm -hmm. like it's almost but i love that like if you if you but if, find what you love 
find what you can do, find what you're good at, find what you enjoy, and then work your tail at it, and you can you can achieve it. You can achieve the highest the highest stakes in it, right? Yeah. Do you think so? Like comments like uh, anybody can be president, or you can do anything. It makes me think of the Key and Pill skit. There was a one of them was playing a football player. And he's like, "You can do anything, literally. You can fly." <laughs> <laughs> it, it 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 is along those lines. So you're like, eh, let's let's be tem-. now. The thing about anyone can be the president. It, the way things have gone recently, it's just my opinion. It makes everyone say, "Hey, that's a viable job for me." If I have enough money, it, you know, it seems like it's like all right. Because there was a time, at least for some people who recently voted, they were like, all right, the president is much smarter than me, and I'm never going to be that smart. Mm-hmm. I can understand why that person has that job. And now you're like, oh, I could do that. Maybe not so much. Yeah. Now, we're old enough to remember President Bush and to know like he may not have been a rocket scientist, but you're like, ah, oh, can do that job, at least intellectually. Right. But at least from what I'm seeing yeah. on the press junket or whatever. Yeah. But, but uh, like you said, economic barriers or monetary barriers. Absolutely. Like you, that, that's, that's a big one, especially in today's politics. You, you said something about kids are surprised he is an attorney. Yeah. Or yeah. you're an attorney. Um, mm-hmm. Like, to talk about, like, why? Um, I mean, growing up in a, ur- that urban environment, um, suppressed o- socioeconomic status for most people living at or near the poverty level for the most part. Um, they're just not used to seeing that profession. Like they, I mean, I have buddies who didn't learn how to tie, tie until they were 25, 30 because no one in their family tied a tie. Mm-hmm. And when they did go to church, just had a clip on. Mm-hmm. And like, they just, they were like, they weren't used to people in, uh, I guess the corporate professions where a certain tie type, you know, it was people who drove a truck, maybe drove a bus, or people who kind of just, you know, got by in a black market. But so certain professions they they looked at it's like oh man that's you got to be super smart you have to uh, go to this school and in and inevitably in, in certain black communities especially in the eighties people were like oh you got to be a white boy you got to be a Jew like that's those are the lawyers yeah we do this part of it so right. we need them if we need to get out of trouble or if we make it to the league to be our agent and I'm like why can't you do it. Mm-hmm. And then everyone has an idea like, oh man, it takes it's too much school. I'm like, it's another three years after college. So if you go to college, it's just another three years. But then, but how many? So how many are thinking about college? So a lot of people are, but goes back to sports. Everyone's like, I mean, oh, I know I thought I was going to go to Florida State and be like Charlie Ward because he was my favorite college player at the mm-hmm. time, and I thought I could go to Georgetown, transfer for basketball season, and be like uh, Charles Smith and play basketball. I really thought. That's what it was, and that was why I wanted to go to college. I didn't want to go for education as a kid. Oh, really? I just wanted to go and play sports and be on NBC and, and play against Notre Dame and go get the Heisman and then go pro. Like, So people think of it from that aspect, not mm-hmm. so much of, oh, get the education and go out here. You know, Of course you hear it, people may tell you, but as a 8-, 9-, 10-year-old, you realize, oh, this person, you didn't do it, so how can you tell me? Like, uh, so I know a, what works. I see on TV the people. I see what college. works, and... I'm not seeing that. I'm not seeing a black yeah. lawyer. I'm not seeing that. You don't see it. Yeah. You, if you don't see it, you don't think it's something that you do, mm-hmm. um, which is why I'm like, I really like to volunteer and, and give back. And if there was a program where you can have these kids go and sit in court, they have it a lot, but like where you can go and sit in and you see people and you realize, oh, law is not a, at all what I see on the TV, mm-hmm. what, I, what I see in the movies. It's actually pretty boring sometimes. I go to an appearance at 930. I'm done at 940. And you're like, oh. And, but they think it's Matlock or they think right. it's litigating. It's it's not like that all, all the time. But being able to go and see it, like, oh, I can do that. And this guy or woman looks just like me. They're from my neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And they'll realize this is something that, that's uh, that's within reach. Where did um, where did the flip happen for you? Like if you were looking at sports, then when did you just say? So I, uh, I, I always did well in school early on. And my father raised me. My grandmother was there. Um, my great grandfather was a preacher and some of his children were pastors and preachers. So, and my father worked in the bank. So he was always like, you oh, you can do whatever you feel like doing. Like you're going to, if you want to go to this school, you can, you can go to that school. Like, why, why can't you? Like, I didn't, I didn't have, I didn't have this concept that I, that I can't do it, but my father was always, he was smart. Like at, even at his bank, although he was in a, he wasn't in an executive or in an administrative capacity, but he 
was definitely a, a person that they they relied on. So I was able to see like, oh, he's he kind of has influence here. So I knew and I, I knew he was smart. I knew how he was regarded by his friends. And my grandmother, who uh, grew up in, born in the 40s, went to school during segregation, got kicked out at after desegregation because for fighting for fighting white girls because it, it, it was going to be some tension. She was always like, no, you're going to go to school and you're going to do. You can you can do as you can do anything anyone else can. Mm-hmm. She's like, I know it because you're smart. It was different for me, g- growing up in the '40s, but there's no reason why why you can't do it. So I always figured, okay, like I, I didn't think that was beyond me. I thought, oh, that's something I'll do once I finish playing sports. Oh, uh, so you had it, you had it, had a thought. Yeah, and then growing up in D.C., I mean, you see Marion Barry as the mayor. You know, for whatever people say about him, like D.C. in the '80s, all the administration, the city council was people who looked like you. So mm. you kind of, mm. it's the backdrop was there. Although your neighborhood, what was in front of you may have been, uh, may not have been, may not have been uh, anything of academia. It was all criminal or street stuff, but the backdrop was you there. The, you had the representation. So you had a little bit of, so you had a little bit of both going yeah. on. And it was just then that different element for you, at least it sounds like was family. Absolutely. Yeah, like where they were steering. Like what? Where yeah. Uh, so you you talked about Florida State, Georgetown, mm-hmm. but you ended up going to Cornell. Um, you know, playing Ivy League football. Like, so what what sparked that decision? Not not to I mean, it's Ivy League education, academic. To Rodney's question, like, what drove that? as you said, you were thinking about school later. Like, how did you come to that decision? Um, options. So uh, coming out of high school, I weighed like 135. So <laughs> Florida State and Stanford were not knocking at my door. I mean, because I, I did well academically, so I thought, oh, I can go to Stanford. They have a good academic reputation, Pac-10, it's on TV. But um, just size-wise, I knew probably what, what my options were. Um, and they were recruiting. They started sending letters my maybe my junior year. Um, got some interest from like local schools and like some one double A schools at the time that were on the East Coast. So at, at that point, I know like well, if it's an Ivy League school and I, it's still one double A, and it's Georgetown or Towson or let's say uh, uh, Lehigh, I'm like well, I might as well go Ivy. Like it doesn't like why why wouldn't I go? Because I'm not mm-hmm. getting any more interest from West Virginia. And I'm like, at 135, I'm like, I'm going to have to red shirt. And I, at 17, I thought I was like the best thing smoking. I'm like, I'm not red shirting. <laughs> not me, not Keith Ferguson. So that's really how the Ivy League happened. And, and then when the letters came in, I didn't know Cornell was an Ivy League school. My stepmother was like, this is a Ivy League school. I'm like, oh, okay. I'm like, all right, I'll pay attention to it now, I guess. But uh, So it was a big, once, once you figured that out, it was a big deal. Like, oh, okay. Yeah, I'm like, I knew... Uh, the thing is, you know, everyone knows HYP, Harvard, Yale, Princeton. Like, those yeah, who stick out. Yeah. Cornell's like, oh, yeah. uh, I guess. But uh, that was not my intent I was playing. Of course, if you're competing against people who are getting recruited by 1A schools and you're dominating and you're doing well against them, you think, why wouldn't I just go there? Mm-hmm. And then you're like, oh, I'm 135. That person is 180 right now. When they leave Before college, they, they might the be 205. Yeah. <laughs> right. So I, I knew, at least from a physical standpoint, it would just be – uh, I wouldn't get as many looks. So I went with, you know, you go with who's looking at you. Like yeah. I tell people, I'm like, uh, I'm not going to chase. I'm going to go with who wants me. And uh, between the Ivies, it was the best option for me, at least. And Cornell continued to recruit me. And it was my coach, Ron Prince, who's now at Howard um, as their head coach. And he did a couple stints in the NFL. He recruited me relentlessly, even when I injured myself in the preseason. The other Ivies fell off. So that's pretty much how I wound up at Cornell. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. It's awesome. Yeah. Glad you did. Oh yeah, me too. Yeah. It was, it was awesome. I mean, did the now oh, go ahead, Ryan. Did the weight thing end up being like do you think it would have been like they weren't recruiting, but like could you have played anywhere? Yeah, sure. I um from a at least playing receiver yeah. and then if if you're playing D back, I just have to cover you. Like I don't have to jam you at the line. I don't need to do that. If I can get to the football before you do before you do on defense, then I won. It's like Fred Smoot. I mean, he was a phenomenal cornerback in For college. Sure. But he was, I guess, undersized, if you used to say. But mm-hmm. he's like, I'm, they don't pay me to jam. They don't pay me to tackle. I just need to get 
get to the football before the other person does and stop them right. from catching it. So from you know the speed standpoint, agility, all those things, sure. But I'm not going to win for you on the goal line. Not me. Now, right. I'm not. T- you know, if I had to tackle like not Eddie the G- not the Sherman. <laughs> yeah, if, if I don't know, if, like if an Eddie George type dude was running is a go- third and one, or he like he's, he's going to get that. He's going to get it. I'm you a, know, I'm gonna I'm I'm tap this play out. Coach. Yeah, the DC should <laughs> not have put me in that position. Right, they should, they should <laughs> no. know better. In offense, you're just running routes. It's just if you can get open, get separation, you can win. Right, like that's it. You just Which actually it probably helps with that. Yeah, you don't, don't let anyone get your hands on you. I mean, even a receiver yeah. who's 180, if the right corner gets their hands on you, you're toast. Yeah, it doesn't matter. So, I mean, you look at the West Welkers, the Julian Edelmans, the Cordell Stewarts. Like these are all not small people, right? Yeah. Or big people. Even Sproles when he splits they, out. They, yeah, he's just yeah. quick and fast and can get separation. The ball gets there and they move the chains. Yeah. Although I will say West Welker and those guys are surprisingly bigger in person when you see them. I mean. You know, 5'10", 190, 195, 200. That's a, that's a big, a big a human big per- being. Yeah. Like, wa- regular walk around, you're like, oh, that guy's Jack. You uh, said um, your father raised you. Yep. And your grandmother? Uh, yeah. And your grandmother. His mom? Yep. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. which is abnormal, right? For your, at least yeah. certain environment, like your father be the primary caretaker. So, my mother and father met in the military in Germany. Um, she's actually from out here in Long Beach, but family's originally from Oklahoma, mm-hmm. Oklahoma City, and like little country towns like Hennypen and Winniewood. So they're out the country. Never heard of any of these. Yeah. Hennypen and Winniewood. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it was a real, like, real name. Like we watched, out, walked in the Winnie the Pooh. Like, <laughs> shout out to them. So yeah, so she, they met in the military, and yeah. like anyone in the military who going in, uh, some people say, oh, it's the military. I'm like, a lot of people I know, I don't know about everyone else, but they were like, I need to go and do my four. I can come out and get money for college or I can get some points on my application when I'm going to get a job. Like, that's why they're doing it. Not because I love this country so much. I would get, get my GI Bill. That's it. Yeah. So yeah. they went, you know, 79. My father went, what, 78 or so. So he met there, got married, had me, came back to the West Coast. Mm-hmm. Um, but my mother had me, she was 20. My father was 22. So when they were, they split, my mother was young and still active. My father was like, he'll come came out to come get me. So of course I'm two years old. I don't remember all the mecha- all the right. details of right. it, but I went to live with my father and then it never was an issue, never was something like, oh, your mother's coming to get you. Like, in fact, I didn't see her again until I was like, that I remember, I was about 10 years old. Oh yeah. So I mean, oh, in wow. person at least. But my father raised me, which was, in my neighborhood was like one of the few guys that their father was present every day. Mm-hmm. It was just the opposite. But then as a kid, you realize like, all right, I have one parent like everyone else. It's just flipped mm-hmm. and everyone had a grandmother like everyone had a grandmother that helped so that wasn't different like yeah so yeah um, but, you but, say like okay. everyone else like was this the single parent was the norm yeah very much so yeah very very much so um a few guys i mean fathers were around but it was the parents may have split they or they may not have really been a couple but you know a child was born so mm-hmm. the fathers w- would come get the children or whatnot but mm-hmm. a lot of it it definitely was uh single parent it's just common yeah and something you don't think of well at least i didn't think about it's just just what it was yeah you were just a kid yeah um how do you have a relationship with your mom now i do it's a it's a it's a weird relationship in that it's it is mother son but Mm. it's definitely more friend and i guess maybe that is what happens as you become an adult so we just miss that whole mother son like raising you part mm-hmm. and now as adults you're like all right well you know whatever happened we're not going to fix it and there's not an issue for me i'm like hey you know life happens she had my sister and brother you have to take care of those kids i'm doing well over here and you know we worked it out like it's not a big deal but now i mean i still love you you're my mother mm-hmm. and like you know i have my wife and we're gonna have a family at some point god willing and you know like i want you to be a part of it and that's just kind of how it rocks Although there's times where she'll act, she'll say things. I'm like, Mom, you didn't raise me. Like you, you mm, don't get like to, you don't get you, you don't, don't get, get to make that decision. Like you don't get to imp- have input here, which is just. But that's the dynamics of our, our relationship. Yeah, yeah. Um, you, you're very. It's interesting. Like what kind of impact? You're very calm about this. Like it's very. I mean, anytime you hear a story that. You know, you weren't raised. You were basically raised without a mother. Like, 
that that's a big deal and you it just is like that's just that's just the life in the card that you were dealt like how do you how do you get to that place like how are like is that the influence of your dad your grandmother like absolutely what is that for you uh, it's definitely yeah. my father and grandmother's influence and how i was raised which um probably has made me callous to a degree and i know like i had exes and even my wife now is like listen you might have mommy issues like things she's like it had to have impacted you and had some type of effect on you mm-hmm. but like i grew up and i knew you know bad things happen to good people like and the sun is still gonna come up tomorrow you got to put one foot in front of the other and keep going like that's just just what it is and as a child you just be able, at least for me i was able to compartmentalize and know like okay well that happened it's not changing so you make the most of the situation and then and i i was just I would just be, I would compare myself to my friends. I'm like, well, they have one parent. I have one parent. Like, it's not abnormal for us. So mm-hmm. I didn't, and I didn't think I was longing for something or missing, like, the mother's touch because my grandmother essentially mothered you, you me. You still had a female, yeah, like, so a she, female she strong She basically woman, mothered yeah. me. Like, I'm, in a sense, basically that was my mother for mm-hmm. me. So I didn't feel like I missed out on it. And it, almost like uh, you don't miss what you can't measure. And, like, I didn't see her. I wasn't around it, so it didn't make me miss it. I guess it would be one thing if my mother was there mm-hmm. and I could see her mm-hmm. and she wasn't around to take care of me. That would probably affect you, but not seeing it. Yeah. Had you no seem to have a very logical approach, just the, the way you break down a lot of things. Like, can you read? Can you write? Okay, you can be a lawyer. Like, yeah, like can you reason? Can, oh, uh, it's, it's the same as all my friends. I just have my dad instead of my mom. Mm-hmm. Is that uh, innate? Or is that also from parents or school or like what? How did I want to say it's innate, but I'm sure it's some nurturing. I, I would imagine, uh, although I wasn't necessarily like an emotional child, so I'm not necessarily so much an, as an, an emotional adult, which is not great for my wife. She's like, "All right, you should have feelings," and like I know the logic, but just I just want to be heard. I'm like, "Well, you're telling me this. This is the problem. It's A and B. I have a solution." She's like, "No, no, no." I just want to be heard. I'm like, that's not how mm-hmm. I work. This sounds familiar. I know uh, this. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think I, I think over time I just became, I just became logical, because things made sense and like and like my grandmother, or father would say like, hey, the rain falls on the just and unjust alike. Bad things happen to good people. You're just not gonna understand it, but you can either wallow in it and stay where you are, or you can continue to move forward and make the most of it. Mm-hmm. And then over time you see things. You're like, oh, this is not the worst thing in the world. It's not ideal. It's not the worst thing in the world. Other bad things happen. No big deal. And you continue on. You so. s- you said um, you thought you were callous. Yeah. Or I think, yeah, you mentioned you thought you might be callous. And your wife said, oh, you might have issues. Like, is she is she saying that just because of the situation? Or because, like, wh- of what you're saying, like, I might be callous? Like, wh- what does that mean? Uh, but definitely the situ- the, with the situation as the backdrop, she's like the way you process mm-hmm. and the way you... You know, you, you, the way you empathize, it's like you're you're definitely a little more hardened or a little more mm. just like, okay, but so what are you going to do about it? As yeah, opposed yeah. to let me hug you and tell you it's going to be okay. I'm like, well, it's actually not going to be okay unless you do boom, boom, boom. And she's like, the person doesn't want to hear that right now. Right. They may need, I'm like, what? They have a problem. If I'm you don't solve it, do it, fix the problem or solve it now, it's going to continue and linger and only get worse. So, which is actually kind of a, I guess lawyers are good. Uh, a good profession. good career, <laughs> a good yeah. profession for yeah. that mindset. It, yeah. it it makes sense to it. It does make sense, but then you do need a lot of empathy as an attorney, depending on what you're doing and who you're representing and oh, how yeah, you yeah. paint them to whoever your audience for is, sure. whoever the judge is, or yeah. the jury. You do how, need how to do you, how do you channel them. that? Um, how do you how do you channel that for yourself? So when I was representing people who you know who are, let's say they're, it's credit card debt or a criminal defendant or some family issue, you want to humanize them to a degree. Um, but a lot of my work is for banks, and it, you almost cannot humanize a bank. You can only just talk about equity. Numbers. So say someone is taking, you know, they, they haven't paid a mortgage in seven years. I can't do that. I have student loans to pay. But uh, you, you know your audience and also the drive to, you kind of want to win. Not kind of, you want to win. So you figure out a way to get it done and you go in there and do your job and, and you leave out of it. And it, it, cool. it, it becomes that simple. But um, I'm not like doing consumer debt and representing a number of people and representing people who are being harmed by 
company, so uh, it's not as draining, which I imagine like that type of work and family law and especially um, child representation work or immigration so not in, to like be. deeply emotional. Yeah. Well, I mean, sure there could be emotions, but it's not. Yeah, not yeah. the same as those family cases. Yeah, working for a bank is not nearly that type of. It could be a lot more cut and dry, which also could fit your personality more. Yeah. It's still interesting, too, because like one of our episodes, we interview an attorney in Southern California who represents victims of institutional molestation, mm. um, you know, whether it's the church or school or whatever, sexual assault in that regard. Sports, and he has and he still processes information very similar, like it's compartmentalized, it's logical, it's practical, got to move forward. So it's just it's it's a fascinating However, parallel. But he does like he did. He's got to go to therapy. Yeah, he's he's therapy. still got work. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, there's a lot of other stuff that has to go into that. Now, how do you navigate this? Like, let's let's talk about relationships here, which is something we've actually never talked about before. There's an interesting dynamic. How do you navigate that with your wife? Right. Mm -hmm. Like. For me, as an example, it, I mean, I, st I totally get where you're coming from. It's like, hey, you've got a problem. Why don't you fix it? Right. Like one of the things that it's like me time. Right. Mm -hmm. I, I would constantly talk to my wife. It's like, hey, take it. Like, you need it. Take it. I'll give it to you. It's not a problem. Um, but it's not that simple emotionally. Right. And navigating that to have a stronger relationship and continue to go forward is, is important. Like, how do you manage that? Especially coming from a very logical place. Uh, it definitely took, uh, premarital counseling that continued, um, uh, I guess after marriage, we just continued the counseling cause it was going well. And it's you sitting down and that person being able to explain, I guess what they need and like the way you respond, how that makes them feel. And you're like, okay, I guess you feel pretty shitty or I'm not getting giving you the response that you need and it's and it's constant work because my default is fix it mm -hmm. like logic I don't know why we're debating this or why we're working through emotions there is a solution there is an answer or there's a next step are, are we doing that because if we just talk about your feelings and then this happens again and we're talking about your feelings we never took the next step to get things done but the premarital counseling helped a lot because mm -hmm. you're like, oh, okay. Oh, this is how that works. And yeah, I guess I'm I'm probably being dismissive of their feelings, of her feelings, and I didn't consider it. I thought I was helping, but wasn't helping at all. What what prompted premarital counseling? Um we knew we we didn't like do anything, I guess, uh religious as far as getting married, but I knew a lot of people did premarital counseling and she did as well and she was like, um, would you consider it? She's like, I'm, you know, she thought I was when uh, that guy, like, therapy, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> right, right, right. And uh, I was like, you know what? <laughs> you want me to do it or you think you, you want to go and talk about our relationship? Sure, I'll do so it. You're willing to consider it. I was like, all right, you want to do it? Sure. I'm like, they're not going to change my mind. Like, I know what I think about things, so sure. But going in there, you're like, oh, okay, this is actually pretty helpful. And my right. cousin, uh, Gorio, Gregorio, mm -hmm. he actually told me about his premarital um, counseling. And I was like, okay. And like my cousin, we're like brothers, like almost two years apart. So he said it was really helpful in his relationship. So I figured, all right, I can go talk to a stranger. I'm like, at the same time, it's frustrating because you're like, you're my wife, my fiance. I would think you can just say anything to me. Right. And you realize like it, it doesn't work that way. Blind they do spots. need that medium. Yeah. I'm like, it, it was eye opening for it's, sure. It's different, right? Yeah. It's frustrating because you, you're like, I, I'm with you every day. And you're gonna bring this up that. now. Yeah, four years later, that that's <laughs> what we're doing. Four years. It's oh man, it's frustrating. Whereas me, logical, uh, confronting problems head on. Like, hey, I didn't like what you did. I would just say it, and just different different responses. So that's and cool. It, you did it, something it, there. It, like we had a conversation yesterday. It was like a guy who who's uh, his entire career is about listening and teaching people how to listen. Mm. And he, he, one of the things he said was, you know, if people would just be willing to listen to somebody, even if they know 100% what their stance is and just listen to hear what the other stance is, they might learn something. They mm -hmm. may not, they, it might just make them more sure of what they know, or they might say, Oh, you know what? I didn't even think about that. And it's just like that willingness to just yeah. do what you did and just say, all right, you want me to do it? I love you. My, my my cousin brother says like yo this is gonna be it, it helped me yeah i was like all right sure but yeah that huh. it, it definitely makes a difference it 
definitely made a difference. And I mean, it still work for me. It still work every day. Still, yeah. it's just gonna be one of those things. Is it's now my default, and like, you know, twenty something years of that being your default, it's hard to unwind it. Oh yeah. So it may take t- twenty more years or so to you know to my, change. My mentality is very similar to yours. Whereas Keith has more of a uh, an emotional um, sensitivity because of how he was raised, like just the differences in how we were raised. So like mm-hmm. I'm the super like, all right, can we get past this? And everybody's like, no, I need to process. In fact, you need to process as well. Like that's something that I've learned. Like even even underneath it for me, mm-hmm. I like I there's feelings there that I need to get to 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 deal with so that they don't just sit in some box somewhere to explode one day. Yep. How long you been married? Uh, two years. Uh, what are we, July? Almost two and a half years now. I got married in February uh-huh. 2017. You so. got that. You recalled that pretty quickly. Good job. Yeah. Yeah, that's good because I. <laughs> it's funny. My wife and I have the joke. My wife never remembers our anniversary. And never remembers how long we've been together. Um, which I've is forgotten my awesome birthday, twist so. of fate because wow. I don't bother. It doesn't bother me. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you do you guys still do counseling? No, we haven't. Um, haven't in a while. I imagine uh, if. I guess if she gets pregnant, and I imagine that may be something we'll go back and because it's a life changing event and it's probably going to affect the relationship and affect mm-hmm. the way. I mean, everyone who's married or in, in, in any relationship, they say the kid or kids or children change everything. They do. Uh-huh. Um, and I'm like, okay, so why not be proactive? I, it, may, it would make sense. Although, it would. I'm not sure how much it would help because you don't know until it hits the fan the baby is here. Yeah, yeah. But um, I'm sure, I think, I imagine around that time we'll get back to it. Or if there's a, I Pro, guess, a proactive approach. I like yeah. that. Or if there's a, a point like in marriage where we get to be confrontational or butting heads, we may need to figure out, like, all right, let's go talk. If we can't do it amongst ourselves, let's go sit down before someone. I, I highly recommend you, it for anyone. Do you find couples counseling to just be a logical thing to do? Like, because the, the way you talk about it, it's not things that people want to do it's emotional you're not emotional but hey this makes sense we should try it right yeah let's go i i think it is uh at least for one well i think whoever initiates it m- more likely may have been i don't know from what i've seen is the they they're coming from the emotional perspective like hey this yeah. is how i'm feeling I, and i and they may be the one that's going to counseling and say this would be helpful to us if you come join me mm-hmm I've seen it go that way. Not so much of it's so logical, but the the the, the counterpart is usually the logical one. Like, all right, sure. It's more like, okay, I'll go. But um, I've seen now more people I know who they just do their own ind- individual therapy, so they're more open to couples therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, as a kid, I, at least I didn't know teenager, young adult. I I didn't know anyone who went to therapy. Oh yeah. Well, at least they wouldn't say it. You know, if you went to therapy, it was like, man, what's wrong with you? You talking to head shrink? Can't can't figure your own stuff out. Like, what's <laughs> You know, like what's what's up with this? Now I would like recommend it for anyone. So mm-hmm. I wonder now uh, the dynamics with more young people in therapy. Are they both, or if they're poly, however many they are? Like, let's go and talk about things. Mm-hmm. So yeah, no, I yeah, that's an interesting question, Keith. Like the logical, I I mean I see it as be from the the logical thing for me is that um who was it? I think it was Dolly said. I guess we had. She said uh. If you don't think you have any blind spots, that's your blind spot. Mm. And okay. And so the point being, we all have blind spots. We all have bias. We all have we all have something that we can work on. And if you're in a relationship with somebody else, like how are those blind spots affecting them? Mm-hmm. And going to counseling, so it's it's weird. Well, like for me and the way I grew up in my family dynamic, it's weird to use that outside party because like for us, it was everything stays in. Like we. Yes. We take care of us here, even though we may or may not have actually been taking care of ourselves. Mm-hmm. But having that outside observer to say, "Whoa, did you hear how you said that? Or wait a second. How did you feel when he said that or when she said that to mm-hmm. like add that interjection into what you think is normal communication and and in a normal situation. One or both of parties might not feel comfortable saying it didn't make I, I felt this. Because they think they're assuming the response, or they're used to the response, yep. and, you know, and then you get that third party, and it, it helps kind of diffuse it and allows everybody to really see, like, shines a light on like what's what's actually happening. Yeah, no, it it absolutely it absolutely does, and like family was the same way. Like, if you have a problem, 
it's internal. Like you don't bring other people into your business. Mm-hmm. You don't in, you don't you don't reach out to other people. Yeah, no, we don't do that. Let them know your business. No, that's ridiculous. Right. But you know, so that definitely was the upbringing. And for us, it's, you fix your own problems. Like, what's wrong? Like, all right, if you want to cry about it, okay, cry. And wait a few minutes. Did anything change? Nothing. Okay, so what are you gonna do? Like that was how I grew up in the logic. So for me, like therapy was like get out. Like therapy? Are you crazy? <laughs> but now I, I like I say I recommend it to anyone. And then like it does allow you to be seen, to be heard, and to also to, it's a mirror to like say this is what you sound like. Mm-hmm. And if I did this to you, how would you respond? And mm-hmm. this is what he or she is feeling, or. Or let's say there's someone who's more dominant than you, and you know, if I if I say something one way, they're gonna just say this, and right. so I'm not even gonna say it, mm-hmm. and then that snowballs so over time. So there's cycles, yeah, yeah, and you're where like, I can oh, never, wow. I can never be, I can't be me around you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you're like, wow. So definitely what, eye-opening. What about um, this was early, early on before we started recording. You said it was kind of almost an aside. You were like, yeah, oh, we were talking about kids. Oh yeah, and you were thinking, you're starting to think, you two are thinking about it, and you said. Um, you're you're wondering how you're gonna do it. He's like, oh, you can't can't raise them how my parents raised me. Yeah. What did you mean yeah. by that? So I I in the eighties, I mean, of course, corporal punishment. You know, whatever oh. that was, yeah. it was easy. Like, yeah, it was not a thing. Now it's the school w- will call on you, and you can lose your children, other family members, and some people who gain. You know, over time, you've gotten more education. You say, you know what? That's not a requirement. Um, but then there's also just a matter of I'm responsible for a human. And I didn't think about it, but like the people in my household, three different outcomes, same everything every day. And you're like, how do I control it to where I can have the most favorable outcome? Not three widely ranked, just widely disparate outcomes. Some children I don't have to worry about. Other ones I'm worried about until their 30s and their 40s. And um, I'm just with my nephew and I'm like, he's 10 years old and his cousin is 12 and just they're adolescent boys. Mm-hmm. And you, you see like uh, a little little hints of insubordination, they're displeasure with things. They may shrug their shoulders, roll their eyes, or just lazily do something because they don't want to do it. And I'm like, it, for me, like, I couldn't do that as a kid. It's physical confrontation right away. Right. Can't do it now. And now you have to find other ways to, to manage and discipline them and also to educate them because the world is smaller for them. I mean, social media, gaming, they can reach anyone, anywhere. Yeah. It's just a different dynamic. And I'm like, oh, wow, it's probably a completely different challenge and like my father couldn't help me a ton at least as far as the social media component mm-hmm. like my cousin he can he has a 21 year old a 15 year old and a 10 he so he's in it so he may be he he'll probably be my crutch and say hey um how, how do you manage this mm-hmm. and I, it just occurred to me i'm like oh wow that's something i would have to worry about yep so that it, it's more those things and it Social media may be completely different by then, but it's just like, oh, for oh, wow. sure. I'm going to be, you know, responsible for a human being and what that is like each and every day. Because it also affects what you can do. I can't tell my boss to kiss my ass. You you, you know, <laughs> I mean, I can go out and work for myself then, sure. Yeah, right. But you have uh, to there's like a lot it. of things you just can't do when people are dependent on you. Right. And uh, and that may not work for my, te- my temperament or personality because I may say, you know what? No, I don't want to. Whatever it is. I'm like, oh, that's political speech. I, I shouldn't have to do that or at your job. And your boss is like, well, this is what we're doing. And are you willing to make a stand for whatever it is? And also your family's responsible for you. So that's that balancing. I'm like, oh, wow, that's a lot of other things to consider. Where it was just me before. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, I'll be fine no matter what. So, Like a lot uh, of people I know care like far more about things than I do. Like, uh, what is it? The... Uh I don't know, like some of the milestones, like, oh, they rolled over today. And I'm like, they'll roll over when they roll over. But manners, like uh-huh. the first time she said, thank you. And she said, please. And mm. now she's getting your welcome. Like that to me is everything. And sharing and. Especially uh, those proactive thank yous. Like oh bless yous when someone sneezes. It's mm. like, go. But yeah, just giving them, give, trying to give them the tools so that they can do what the you know they can they can end up in, what how'd you say it earlier giving put them in a position to to get that best outcome yeah like as much as i can do and and you said something earlier about um like having that line like with your mom like 
kind of that breaking point or the line or the boundary yeah to say like this is okay this isn't this is mine to care for for you this isn't like i and i don't know that i know where that is as a parent i think parents probably struggle with that because you have to you want it to be everything right mm-hmm. and even though it's not all uh which is hard i've talked to my dad about it with, uh, and it's hard it's hard separating because it's like no nah, it's my baby yeah 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 like, i tell my wife and she i mean she's like this is because of how you were raised but i'm like you know having a child it's it's a relationship where the where the end is is expected like where there's a separation where like i'm raising you because i'm not gonna always be here but i want you to be self-sufficient right where everything else is like we're gonna be together forever this is just how it's gonna end i'm like no a child there's gonna be an end date at some point or another ideally me first but i want them to be just fine without me like i'm raising you for that yes so uh like that that's what that's what i'm doing and that's and of course that that's that's the reason the purpose and why you are the way you are with your children why you discipline the way you do you you put um, certain values in them but it's all with the expectation of that you're going to continue this without me because I'm not going to be here to reinforce it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want you to pass it on to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, I so mean, you look what happened with Tiger Woods, like just not to, I mean, yeah. once his dad died, right? Like his world changed. Yeah. And then everything else changed after that. Right. Like very much his so. behavior changed with his wife, like all of that stuff. And I'm certainly no Tiger Woods emotional expert and know what he went through. But if you look at the chronological nature, like he, he was so dependent on his dad. Yeah, he wasn't it prepared like for it. Yeah. Huh. Once he died, it was like, but that's nice to that point. I, I, yeah. I, you know, this is a tangent, but I actually thought Tiger Woods should have kept fornicating and doing all the things that made him happy because that's when he was playing his best. I think I think he was his best when he was doing those things, and mm. but of course his father passing, and he's trying to hide these things. I'm like, man, just keep doing whatever makes you Tiger Did Woods. He get- it may not be great for your marriage, it may not be great for other things, but for for us, that's the Tiger that <laughs> for us it we, worked. It's not great for <laughs> yeah, him, right. but yeah. Did he? Yeah. You. So I got I got to take like a, a, hype man. A, a pivot here in the conversation. Um, talk a little bit about conversation tips because you said, said something at the be- you know before recording pre-show. Know when to walk away. Yeah. Know when yeah. to stop. That's actually where I wanted to go when I was talking uh, about breaking points in line. And, uh, yeah. yeah. This is a, it's a, a principle that as we write our book um, that I've tried to incorporate is the idea of taking a pause. Mm-hmm. Now you just, just, just take a pause when, when it's time. Like how do you determine when that's the time like when that time comes and when you're in a conversation and how do you determine if you should go back to it um like do you do you have a is it a field do you have a criteria like do, do you have a advice like for other people to to think through it for themselves uh i i had like a kind of a policy and it's come up in political conversations where uh i give the person one opportunity like I, we may disagree and it's not going anywhere. I'm like, all right, let's table it and maybe we can come back again. Like just give it a pause because I'm, I'm pretty sure what I'm saying is logical and sound and I don't think you're being reasonable. But you go back to it one more time and it, if it's not productive, you have to just leave it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like I guess in relationships with people you care about, you're just going at each other and you're not making, you're not going anywhere. You say. You kind of have to say, hey, we're not making, we're not moving any ground right now. We're not getting anywhere. Uh, can we talk about it tomorrow? Or <laughs> oftentimes with family, it doesn't work that way. People want to deal with it then. Right. But I, I think when it's people you care about, you may, you may, you may give other opportunities. But people you don't care, or it's just something in passing, you try to pause and say, you know what, this person doesn't want to listen to me. Like I can tell. Like you have two ears and one mouth for a reason. You're supposed to do more listening than talking. I can tell they only want to get their point across. This is at this point now. It's all diminishing returns. I'm not gonna. This is not gonna serve me at all. And it's easy. It's taking a long time because you want to prove your point and you want to convince them, or at least at some point you realize you can't, and you want to show them how stupid they are in your opinion or how smart you are. But it doesn't do anything for you. It doesn't change. It took me a while to get to that point and say, you know what, this isn't gonna work. 
I mean, being a lawyer, that's kind of what, like, getting your point across mm. is what you do, right? Yeah. You yeah. In that situation, you have to do it. You have to say, all right, well, I have to create a record for appeal. Like, if I'm in front of a judge and I'm like, you're not listening to the facts, at least as I'm so You have to state it. it. I need to put it on the record because <clears> I'm going to appeal. And then in the negotiation with opposing counsel, you just have to have, a, you know, talk to your client and set real, realistic expectations and get an idea of what they really want and that what you want and figure out, like, okay, this is our line. Beyond this point, we're just not going to go any further. And you have to maintain that. You can't just, you can't make a line and then say, okay, and entertain it more. You have to hold that line and, and be strong on that and just not go back. Mm -hmm. I've been, Being an attorney has helped with that because you're like, okay, this is it. I'm not going any further. All right, let's go. Lit let, let's go litigate. But uh, for for tough. your for your personal line, when you're in a conversation with somebody who's not seemingly willing to listen, or their point doesn't align with what you're saying or what you're thinking or what your mm -hmm. logic is, is there how, like how do you? What's the gauge? Is it is it a feeling? Is it just straight up like? Like, because you said it's not being productive. What does productive mean for you? Like, if because if if you're on the opposite ends of a mm -hmm. political mm -hmm. spectrum, yeah. Like, what's productive to you? Them listening to you, um, listening with an intent to with listening with the intent to. It's like if I go into a conversation, it's going to be a discourse, and I know I'm on the other side. I go in and think like, all right, I'm open to be convinced. But if you go in, I'm only going to do the convincing. It's it's not productive. It's not going to be productive. It's just going to be combative. Mm -hmm. I go in and say, all right, maybe this person has something to say. Although most times, like especially <coughs> now in today's <coughs> climate, my mind is made up. You cannot convince me. So at that point, it becomes a, all right, we're not going to, our ideologies are different. Do you have facts to support what you're saying? Not feeling, do you have facts? If you say, oh, these immigrants are just using it, I'm like, okay, <coughs> do you have the records to show if immigrants are draining your resources or taking your jobs? Do you? Where is that? Where are those facts? Can you show me the unemployment rate for this class of people since immigrants, whatever it may be? If you don't have that, you're talking from a feeling standpoint. I know now I can't convince you. It's like talking about religion. At the end of the day, it becomes, you know, because my God says so. You can't win. You can't argue with you that. You can't argue with that. It's just you get to a point where you're like, oh, this is, I'm not going to convince anyone. So for, especially now with politics, it's do you have the facts to support it? Where is that coming from? Where did you hear that? And then that, that informs like my next step for the most part. Now, do you generally like in those types of situations, right? And mm -hmm. I think this is where our mission comes into play. Like, nope, I definitely get it. Like there are going to be times where, hey, you and I, maybe we just don't talk about this because it's not serving either of our emotional states. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I'm irritated, you're irritated and we're not getting anywhere and we need to just focus on something else. Like when you say walk away, generally it's just walk away from that topic. Is it like where do you draw that that perspective and then like move on to something else? Do you just change the topic? Like what, what's the what's the, the tip in that to maintain relationship without losing losing connection simply because you disagree on something? Yeah, this is walk away from the topic and say, you know what, we're definitely not going to agree. Uh, like, I don't, I haven't convinced you. You haven't convinced me. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, and move on to the next thing. On that, but when it's things that are absolutely like deal breakers for you, then it is something where you say, hey, I can't. It's going to affect our relationship. Like, I, mm. I we can't like actually stating that. Like, let him know. Like, hey, like there's a reason. Like, and here's why. And you know, so you know. Like, I've had. I mean, friends and players who are Trump supporters and like, I'm like, okay, you're willing. I'm like, ultimately, and it comes down to it with some of them, it's like, you like economic policy. That's what you're telling me. But you recognize the racism, xenophobia, sexism. You recognize that. But because economic policies may benefit you more, you're willing to just let that go. That's what you're telling me. Great. Because this affects me and there's no way we can coexist. Like, there's some things that becomes that, and it's a, it's not a hard conversation for me. Cause I I rather say it, but somebody you love may make it difficult to say. I, I really don't want to be around you, or it, it gets tough 
in that regard. But I got used to saying, eh, no, I don't think we can be cool anymore, Mm. which is, I guess, why people avoid politics and religion, right? Because it's going to create some separation. It can, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, and one I think is, I think they avoid it because separation, uh, maybe they don't really know their positions, they don't want to talk about it, or it's uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. It's uncomfortable to talk about a position where they, they maybe they declare that the economic policy is what's important to them, and you are more, uh, more or equally focused on social policy, and so that becomes uncomfortable because yeah. maybe they didn't realize how that affects you, and then that just gets into a weird place or all of the stuff. Yeah. But I don't, I don't know that it does any service to not talk about it because then how do we change it? I yeah, yeah it, it doesn't get it doesn't doesn't change. I yeah. I think experience may change things. Um, people, if it's something you disagree about, and it's like all right, you're not going to be convinced about what I'm saying. We'll let we'll see how things happen, how they affect you. Mm. And maybe when you see them, you'll say, oh, this person was right. Oh, I was wrong. That, mm-hmm. that's, about, uh, that's about it. But at some point, if it means enough to you and it's somebody you care enough about, you do have to say we absolutely need to have this conversation to move forward. Or like, because I, I, I want to be able to explain my hostility towards you or what's the difference or the change. Like, I want you to understand why it's not the way it was. So yeah. if it's somebody you care enough about, I right. think you have to have that conversation to your point. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, I wanted, wait, do yeah, you have another I question think, on that, Keith? I have another one. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I think it's a, a, it's an interesting topic of conversation and the idea, like, like for me, there are topics that, you know, maybe we just walk away from. Um, and certainly there are, you know, times where it's like you're evaluating whether you're going to have a relationship with somebody and, it's like, yeah, maybe maybe we don't need this, yeah. right? I mean, there's only so much time um, in the day, right? Like, yeah, I, can't, yeah, I mean, there are only can't so debate everybody people, on yeah. that's right foreign policy. Um, <laughs> exactly. But I, I just, I fundamentally like when it matters, like that type of situation. You know, I'm not ever in the group that's affected, but um, you know, just I think walking away from the conversation and revisiting it later is is. Uh, is the reason Rodney and I are still friends, right? Mm, so, like, sure. personally, you know, seventeen everything. years later, like, had had we dis, you know, just taken the uh, well, you know, you you and I are gonna take a different approach. Let's not be friends. Um, like, it would change the course of our history, right? So, mm-hmm. I have the tendency to think more, but I know it's not for everybody, right? It's it's not the easiest thing to, and most people, like, especially in that situation, I don't want to constantly try to convince everybody that. That there's there's shit it's, in this world. It's kind of like to stop uh, rolling in it, right? it's kind of like what Graham said. Like there are there are lines, mm-hmm. and yeah. at the same time, we need some people that are willing to go across those lines to reach out to the other side mm-hmm. in order to try and make some movement. But that's not for everybody. Like that, yeah, you know, just for time, emotional status. Like it's just it, it's not feasible. It's not realistic for yeah. everybody to go. Do what's his name, Picciolini or whatever? Like, go talk to uh, the Christian white nationalists, and, yeah, and yeah. like that's just not for everybody. Doesn't make sense, right? Doesn't make sense. Yeah. Now, you all's line, I guess, the differences between you two weren't life-threatening, harmful lines that would say, you know, what Correct. you believe in leads to harm upon me. But and they were no, they weren't no, they weren't harm lines yeah, like, they like white nationalists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. why. That's why right. I don't right. see. Yeah, the no, point. there's that extreme. Yeah. you gotta have sure. lines. Yeah. But they were like yeah. religious, which oh, yeah. a lot of people take as. Oh, right. I think that's a difference between probably me and some other people in religion. Like, it wasn't my me. It wasn't my identity. Mm-hmm. So we could disagree, and it wasn't like he was attacking me. Whereas anybody, right. you know, a lot of times with religion, I wasn't disregarding his safety store he wasn't disregarding yeah, yeah that's a that's a fair like, point yeah, it's personal yeah. gain right yeah yeah um i and i only mention that because i've been thinking a lot about this in the the trump supporter perspective is mm-hmm. i think it's such a a narrow viewpoint of of point of of people um there are a lot of people that did and everybody did for a different reason and to your point there is that segment that says yeah i don't give a crap about you or anything else if your life is worse off but mine is better then i'm fine it's like yeah that's there is there is a delineation there of Mm -hmm. of 
of personal safety and care that if you don't care about me, uh, why do I care about having a relationship with you? Right. So yeah. uh, I think for to me, have part that conversation of, is so important for me with the Trump supporter. Like I, I've had plenty of conversations with Trump supporters. I, um, and I, I'm not like an overly strong Hillary supporter or anything like that, but it's like, I want to understand where they're coming from so I can understand where the, like where, what was the breakdown that allowed that to happen? And I know a lot of it, mm-hmm. but because a lot of people I talk to, they're like, oh, because I, I like you. Like, I'm not against you. Like, well, but but like supporting this is actually against this. And a lot of people don't see that. So for me, it's like, oh, is there an opportunity for me to educate here? And that's just me. That's just who I am uh-huh. and like who I like. Mm-hmm. The, I'm a line crosser. That's yeah. just part of my personality. I'm a habitual line stepper. <laughs> line stepper. Hey, uh, you would have thought the drop kick in the chest is, would have been enough. <laughs> I, oh man! I know, Rodney. You have one more question. You, I'm just okay. curious. You said because uh, you just made the Hall of Fame mm-hmm. for um, for the uni, and you said it took too long. It did. So, Absolutely. any thoughts as to why? A number of things. Uh, I think had my original coach still been there, it would have been a first ballot thing. Um, one excuse they'll give is that there were too many people from football representing the Hall of Fame. They needed to kind of break it up. I'm like, oh, okay. Is that but, accurate? I mean, numerical? it's overwhelming me. It's probably 40, 50% football for sure. I mean, but it's in a, it's the longest, it's the oldest sport at that school. So yeah. it make, makes sense. Um, Another part of it, I mean, I didn't do my part as far as when I was in school. Like my last two years, I didn't make first team all IV. I didn't, you know, I didn't do other those other hallmark things where a reunion committee who comes back once a year at the reunion time, they look at a bunch of resumes and say, okay, that's Hall of Fame. And what they're looking for are first team all IV, first team all, like if you have those or all ECAC or whatever, then that's an easy way to distinguish, whereas I didn't get that. And that's largely due to, the program my last two years for sure because we went from a having a passing program to a coach that my junior year we threw the ball a hundred less times in the season we played one less game we threw the ball a hundred less times mm-hmm. and it's, the mm-hmm. next season we, we just didn't put the ball in the air as much we wouldn't put it downfield and the coach and I didn't get along so I had my cha- my last two years were particularly challenging to even get numbers so but that's definitely a part of it but I also felt disrespected I'm like no one in the history of the school has ever done what I've done mm-hmm. in the 180 some year program. And no, and everyone who's who I passed, they had coaches who were feeding them the football because they were trying they to were make steps to, to big 1A schools or to make steps to the pros, whereas I didn't have that at all. Mm-hmm. And yet I still did these things, didn't miss a game. There's no way I don't go first ballot, especially when the people who I passed were first ballot. It, mm. it didn't make sense. And the mm-hmm. quarterback. I'm like, they were first ballot. Why would not be? Just doesn't make sense. Mm. So it was just one of those things, but you know, I, it was disrespectful. I felt, I was like, but I'm like, well, you know what? I'm in it now. It's no big deal. And I found out Deion Sanders, like one of my favorite athletes of all time. He didn't go in first ballot mm-hmm. right away at Florida State. And I'm like, all right, well, it's not so bad. But, uh, <laughs> but initially at the Fair outset, enough. I absolutely were like, and especially my counterparts at Harvard or Princeton or, or Penn were getting in first ballot. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, whoa. Like, what are we doing here? Right. So, yeah. But it's one of those things you're like, oh, okay. I mean, but you're in it, and it's like, oh, no big deal. But, you know, I still feel away. It's like if you don't pass the bar the first time. You're still a lawyer, yeah. but you still didn't pass the first time. It's just <laughs> still going to be yeah. there. Is that a, is that on the record? Or is that known? I don't – I really don't know. That's actually, He's like, I don't know. I did it the first time. I don't – yeah, I don't know if it shows that you failed the first time or, yeah. or whatever. Or if I, you, I think I think it's expunged. I think it's whatever you passed, you passed. Once they yeah, yeah, yeah. when you didn't pass, yeah, like, yeah. 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 Unless you're Kennedy and they bring it up. Unless you want to tell people you failed four times and it took you yeah. so many times. I don't, yeah. I don't think uh, there's a record. Uh, yeah, you, nobody's like, I'm I'm the lawyer that got seized. Nobody's like yeah. – <laughs> nobody. Although those yeah. people, those men and yeah. women make some of the best attorneys. They well, Why is that? Um, They have – a lot of them are litigators that I've seen, uh, even people who do transactional work. But because there's like there's theory and then there's application for yeah. application, they can yeah, really they apply. Can apply. It. And there's a lot of other things. Some people are brains and they can understand things, but when but you they put can't, them, yeah, you put them in out. front of a, a jury and, stamp and speak, they'll stammer and stutter and they just don't come across well. Yeah. Other mm. people, 
So it's, it's so like, many. It's I like guess, my cousin Benny. Yeah, the artistic part of it, and then also the dogged, the doggedness you need. Because some some of them are like, I'm going to work hard to win. Yeah, and it's a different thing. Yeah. I've I've found I've seen it go, like a lot of they say a lot of the A students go teach and they become you know theorists and I all can that see stuff. That. I can see it, that. It, that's kind of a thing, I guess, amongst lawyers they say. So, hmm. well, this has been absolutely a pleasure. Yeah, great. I mean, thank you guys. This is my first time ever doing anything like this, and this was like pretty dope. I yeah. appreciate you cool. coming on. I got one last question, and thank you. Yeah. Yes, thank you for joining us, and this helped me get back into a better mental state better to place. move forward with the rest of the day. Look at this. You just made a man's weekend. Ah, oh, nice. Um, yeah. so. What would you like to leave our listeners with? I would say no matter what, remember that the sun is still going to come up tomorrow. Like mm. you're going to, it's going to be good and bad. It's going to happen to you no matter how much good you do. Like you're not owed anything by the world. You only can control what you can control and that's your energy and what you put out. But you get, you know, until you on the other side of the dirt, you get another opportunity mm. and you only can make the most of tomorrow. You can't keep, you can't go backwards. Going backwards, it's unproductive. I mean, remember it, utilize it, you know, don't ever forget it, but you have to move forward. You have to know, like, tomorrow's another day. I got another opportunity. I can be get better than I can be, be, be better than I was yesterday. And, like, for me, I'm results-oriented. Like, either you're getting better or you're getting worse. I try to hold myself to that, and that kind of motivates me every day. Like, okay, did I get better? Was I a better person today? Was I nicer? Did I do something? Or did I, did I fall back? And, evaluating so the sun the sun's coming up tomorrow get after it